This is Peter Hammond in the studio for From the Frontline, and we have in the studio our friend Isak, all the way from Mozambique. Welcome, Isak. Thank you, Uncle Peter. It's uh, definitely a pleasure to be here. So how long have you been working as a missionary in Mozambique, or has your family been working as a missionary in Mozambique? Yeah, so my parents received the call to missions in 95, just a few years after they were saved. And uh, it took a few years for the Lord to finally open the doors, but we moved to Mozambique in November of 1998. 1998. I mean, that's just phenomenally long time. And, and of course, you speak Portuguese like a local, it seems. Yes, sir, I do. <laughs> it's it's uh, more like your first language these days. Well, of course, you're brought up in Bloemfontein with Afrikaans, your first language. Yes, yeah, so Afrikaans, where we speak at home, I did school in English, but I work mainly in Portuguese, so it gets a bit confusing sometimes. <laughs> Trilingual. Yes, sir. Outstanding. So, uh, for our listeners, those who may not know, Mozambique was... Frontline First was very first mission field all the way back to 1982. My mm. first cross-border mission was to Mozambique and talk about a faith mission. Um, I didn't know a word of Portuguese. I didn't have any money. We didn't have a single contact in Mozambique. But, but God was merciful and gracious and he still used our humble, inadequate efforts. And uh, just to give you a feel of how Mozambique was before to appreciate the, the changes. Back in 1980, the Operation World intercessory handbook for the world, identified Mozambique, mm. the old Portuguese East Africa, as the least evangelized country in the Southern Hemisphere, Yeah, with only 4% Protestants in the whole country, mm. with a massive amount of Muslims, millions of Muslims. Of course, at, at that stage, 1980 was officially an atheist country, a communist country, a Marxist-Leninist country, yes. under a Marxist group called Frelimo, the Front for the Liberation of Mozambique, under Samora Michelle, who actually cursed God, blasphemed the name of Jesus, challenged God to strike him dead if, to prove his existence. I mean, that's the kind of leader they had. Mozambique had destroyed, under Philemo, about 8,000 churches, hmm. uh, of which 4,600 were Roman Catholic churches and the rest were Protestant. There was a tremendous amount of persecution. Hundreds of thousands of people had been killed under Philemo mm. as black marketeers, reactionaries, as uh, counter-revolutionaries. Uh, Bibles were illegal. Uh, missionaries were illegal. Nobody under 18 was allowed in church. And nobody under 18 could get baptized. And there was all kinds of restrictions. Uh, the country was in a civil war. So Mozambique in the 1980s was in a bad way. And yeah. that was when I started Bible smuggling on an off-road motorbike into Mozambique. Mm. Now, uh, a lot of things changed since. So, Isaac, tell us something about Mozambique today. Well, um, it definitely has changed a lot from those years. It is quite amazing if you look at um, how people to this day, I've in my in these 22 years, that well, 24 actually almost, that we've been in Mozambique, I've only come across two people who were willing to speak freely of the experiences of the war. People are so traumatized by the past that they've tried to compartmentalize it and not speak about it ever. So it's interesting to see how to hear from you and having read your book, The Killing Fields of Mozambique, to, to compare that to the current Mozambique where we live, where 
um, I must say it is one of the most spiritual and religious uh, people you can imagine. I have never met a Mozambican atheist ever, not a true atheist who says he does not believe in God. They might be agnostic and believe God is not actually presently working amongst them, but they do believe there is a creator and they do believe that there is a God. So Samora Michel basically failed. Oh, absolutely. He completely failed. <laughs> he said he was going to turn Mozambique into the first truly atheistic country in Africa. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, not necessarily that they're following the true God, but they are following a God and they do believe in spirituality is such a reality to them. If you think with witchcraft and demons that they face and deal with in their ancestor worship, the question of whether God exists or whether spirits exist, it's not even a question in their minds. It's a reality that they face day to day. So definitely the secularist atheists completely fail to rehabilitate, to re-educate the country into being an atheistic country. So that's good. But um, what about religious freedom? I mean, can you be a missionary there openly? Can you openly evangelize? Yeah, so it's quite interesting. So after the war ended, um, our president, uh, Joaquin Chassano, he was very open to missionaries and the Western world. He was very open to religious freedom. He, um, Mozambique was soon classified as one of the most religious free countries in the world, which is amazing because it's such a contrast to what you were just sharing, how restricted it was before. And uh, when our family went, for instance, in 98, it was extremely easy to go as a missionary. You just went with your passport, you got there, and you paid a couple hundred rands to get your residence permit. Um, I think you maybe had to have one letter of invitation. And that's it. Uh, that's it. And you could live there and be a missionary. It was extremely easy. Uh, as soon as anybody heard you were a missionary or you're a pastor or you're working uh, religious work, no one would question you. No one would give you any hindrance. It was just open doors in regards to government regulations. They were very uh, helpful towards churches. And uh, churches and pastors and missionaries were very much respected. And in society, it still is very much. But sadly, it is changing in our government. Um after uh, Chesano ended his two terms, our president, um, Gebuza, he was not very interested in going either way. He was unfortunately more interested in lining his pockets, uh, as most African <laughs> nations, it seems, their leaders are. And he well, just corruption w- seems to be worldwide as yes, well. Yes, yes, very true. Um, so he wasn't very concerned, but we did start feeling a little bit more red tape coming in our direction and opening Christian organizations. We started paying more taxes. Schools started being taxed. Schools were never taxed before. And uh, unfortunately, under our current president, uh, Joaquim, uh, I mean, sorry, Felipe Nussi, he is definitely the most anti-Christian uh, president that we have had in Mozambique. He's a Muslim. Since Samora Machel. Yes, sorry. Since Samora Machel. Um, he's um, a Muslim himself. He claims to be you know, very supportive of any religion. He goes to mass at the Catholic churches every now and then. He visits Protestant services. So he keeps up the appearance of being very open to religion. Yet, in practicality, we see uh, the amount of red tape 
there is now for Christian mm-hmm. organizations, for churches and for missionaries. It's now practically almost impossible to be legally a missionary in Mozambique to get mm-hmm. documentation to actually live and work there as a missionary. It's Most missionaries nowadays, what they do is they come in and start a business, start an organization, and then they're as business people then doing missionary work on the side. Um, and it's even that way is very hard. Um, I mean, just an example for myself, we have residence permits. Um, we have permanent residence permits now. Every five years we in, renew it. Uh, we've had Gee, these... I thought permanent residence would be permanent. No. Uh, but it's now, <laughs> permanent residence now means five-year residence. Yes, and it can be retracted <laughs> any moment that they choose. That doesn't sound very permanent. No, it does not. Certainly not. And even this, I renewed mine last now in 2019. And not only wasn't it extremely difficult process, the price have more than it's more than six times what it was just a few years ago. Uh, mm. We I paid about over twenty thousand rand for those who are in South Africa. It's actually so it foolish done. for any country to make it difficult for people who want to come in, who bringing outside support, who are the best friends the country's got, who are coming to sacrificially serve the people, in your case, opening up school, doing all kinds of different ministry, practically helping the people on the ground. Why would you want to make that difficult? It's it's like when they're trying to overtax tourists. Yes. Do you really want to chase tourists away? Mm. What if you overtax and overregulate, you get less off? Yeah. And that is just what they're doing. Absolutely. And it is not just a religious sector. It is, I mean, you just mentioned tourism. It's happening the same there. It's as if they're trying to destroy private business and enterprise very much. We just see how they're tightening the neck and not just on foreigners. I mean, the foreigners suffer the most, but I've seen this with Mozambican friends and business people who complain just the amount of taxes, the red tape. It's people end up working illegally and doing their business illegally because they just can't do it legally. It's impossible yes. to please the government. There's one regulation that you follow and by doing that regulation, you end up breaking another regulation and it just seems to go in circles and circles. So it can be very frustrating. I've heard people even in America and uh, Europe saying that uh, the socialist type governments make so many laws that in the end everybody has to break several laws a day just to survive and to function so that the government can then pick and choose who they want to pick on. So they basically make everyone effectively a criminal because Mm. as with the lockdown lunacy, COVID cult, mass grade madness, salvation by vaccination, everybody at some point was breaking quite a lot yes. of laws, probably mm. on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And so then they could just pick who they want to bully. Mm. Yeah. And this is what big government often wants to do. Mm. So mm. tell us some of what you are able to do. What What are the ministries you're able to be involved in practically and positively? Well, you see, that's the amazing thing. So this is the government rules, which is mainly based from Maputo, but in reality, you have a lot of leeway. We found um, in our local um, province of Gaza, where we work just north of Maputo, the local officials are always very helpful, very kind, and very open to um, religious work. I mean, even our school, we are our preschool currently, which we have opened and are working at, we are not registered as a religious school. Yet we've had the mayor visit, the administrator for our district visit, and they've all been so pleased when they hear we are a Christian school. We teach the Bible. We teach the kids about the Lord. Uh, we're teaching Christian character. We've got our Christian flag up there alongside the Mozambican flag, and, and they're happy about it, and they say, well done. And, and that is the reality of the local government. So if you manage to 
uh, be undetected by the main national government who seems more uh, who seems to have more animosity towards foreigners and religious work the reality is that the local people are extremely open extremely receptive to religious and, work and appreciative uh, very much so people love it that you work with ed- Christian education people find it extremely important people prefer it much rather than the public schools which unfortunately though um we are not considered or we're technically not supposed to be a Marxist nation. Um, our education system is still very much communistic. Our so they haven't school, changed all the old no. textbooks? Oh, it's mainly still the same, unfortunately. it's If you read the textbooks, it's very communistic still. And well, even if they got the textbooks from UNESCO, they'd be pretty Marxist yes. in <laughs> and evolution and situation <laughs> ethics and driving the whole agenda uh, of uh, conf- gender confusion and all the rest. So, yes, this is a problem. Education is a battlefield, yeah. which is why it's so important to have mm-hmm. independent private Christian schools. Yes, and we are in a battle for that right now in Mozambique because we have been hearing more and more um, the parliament, for instance, recently tried to pass a law banning religious teaching in any schools except for having like an hour of religious teaching class but the problem why it was shot down in the end was if they banned it for christian schools they had to ban it for the muslim schools as well so when they realized that was going to happen they just decided to drop it but it's it's coming more to the forefront that mm. on a national level, again in the capital of Mobutu, they are trying to restrict more Christian education and mm. stop private education and schools from teaching and doing what they want. I mean, even for us to register our school, we have to submit our curriculum, get approval, and it's a very difficult process. Mm. But once again, the local officials most often are very helpful and accepting and kind about it all. Mm. Yeah. Well. I think people need to read Clergy in the Classroom by Dr. David Noble. David Noble in America, the founder of Summit Ministries, he produced an excellent textbook, Clergy in the Classroom, and he points out that secular humanism is a religion. And mm-hmm. when people say non-religious, they're normally meaning the only religion should be allowed should be secular humanism because secular yes. humanism is even registered in America as a 501c3 tax-deductible religious institution. <laughs> and if you go on to college campuses, I mean, just take up, the hill here at University of Cape Town, and they'll have under religious and cultural societies, they will have their, you know, the, the Anglican Society, ANGSOC, the Baptist Society, BAPSOC, and Campus Crusade, and they'll have the Humanist Society, the Atheist Society, uh, they're all there as, they're, they're also part of the religions, yeah. and uh, they'll often class themselves that, even if you go and you read the 1973 Humanist Manifesto, after giving it all, it says, so, uh, so uh, are the basic tenets of of religious secular humanism. Mm. So even this secular humanist manifesto acknowledges that they're religion and they have, they passionately believe like a religion. In fact, they've mm. got all the hallmarks of religion. Yes. I mean, they've got a theology. Atheism is their theology. Mm-hmm. Um, they have their sociology. They have their uh, theory of origins, all the rest of it, and they prescribe a worldview and and behavior patterns. Yes. They've even got their rituals. I mean, you could, you could even argue that... Um, uh, their blood covenant is um, uh, abortion and uh, the euthanasia. Yeah. And uh, and they've got all kinds of rituals and they're just as religious, they're just more intolerant than other religions. So when people say non-religious or no religious, you should ask, well, does that include atheism and mm. secular humanism? Because yes. the, those are also religions. Mm. But these are other battles and the battle for the mind. As we know, there's a battle for the heart, there's a battle for the mind, there's a battle for the family, there's a battle in education. And, Very true. Um, very important worldview battles. Mm-hmm. So you're involved in education and what else? Well, we are also involved in um, actually 
we want to see a biblical reformed church planted in our area. Um, Mozambique, as I said, is very religious, but I think it's also an effect of from the time of the war of not having any Bibles around is that theology is very mm. poor amongst most of the Protestant uh, churches, sadly. People who perhaps in the war were... Um, truly fighting to be in churches and it was risking their lives to go and worship the Lord and be meet together with the brethren. Today you find the same people uh, mixing witchcraft with Christianity, um, slipping away, drifting away from their faith in the Lord. And um, I, I was once in a church where I was helping with the youth work and uh, the several of the young people had come to Christ and started studying the word and being actually started living holy lives and started talking about like seeing sin in the church and saying, wait, what this is happening in the church isn't right. It's, we can't live like this. This is unbiblical. And the, the church board called a meeting and one of the church board members said to the youth leader's face, and I was in this meeting and he said to him, the Bible's a big book. We can't use the whole Bible. We got to choose the parts that's applicable to us and just leave the rest. And, and that's unfortunately a reality we have seen in Mozambique is that even amongst the Protestant churches, people pick and choose what they believe because they don't have a solid foundation of theology. Um, so it's a very, it can sometimes be, and this, again, I'm generalizing, there's definitely many good biblical churches in Mozambique, uh, but generalizing amongst many of the Protestants, there is a great lack of theology that creates a wishy-washy mm -hmm. Christianity that's very shallow, uh, unfortunately, often not even real, but it's more a culture of going to church, of being religious, of praying to God to help me, but doesn't actually have a real impact on their day-to-day -day lives. Well, that's definitely not you unique to Mozambique or Africa at all. There's many churches which are miles wide and inches deep, sometimes millimeters deep. Yes. Um, and, and that is a problem because in many cases, it seems today that we've got a culture that's consumer-orientated. Uh, what does the... Uh, consumer want and uh, mm. you see the purpose-driven lives, the the Prayer of Jabbers type of Willow Creek yes. uh, sinner-friendly model. And many of people think that the most important thing is not to offend anyone. Well, mm. you know, if you study the Bible, it's quite clear that all the prophets were offensive. Oh, yes. And <laughs> almost everything Jesus said was actually shocking to mm. the religious people of his time. Absolutely. Every single thing, when, when you understand the worldview and the context in which Jesus spoke, everything he said was shocking, like mm. the good Samaritan. What do you mean the good Samaritan? The Levite and the priest walks by on the other side of the road. It's a Samaritan, the hated, despised Samaritan. Does, and so Jesus regularly, you know, whether mm. it's the way how the younger brother and so on, he he just had this way of continually shocking the religious sensibilities. This widow put in more than all the rest, all these religious leaders, and you give out of your abundance, and she put in all that she had to live on. Mm. And uh, so uh, when we start to understand the Bible, the prophets, our Lord Jesus, the apostles, the book of Acts, everything, we mm. see the Bible actually is always offending somebody. Yes. In fact, it must because... At our hearts, we sinful people, mm. uh, because of human depravity, a lot of the Bible will be offensive. Mm. And so if we're not offending anyone, you can be very sure we're offending God yes. um, because we are lowering his stance. God is holy. His mm. thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His mm. ways are much higher than our ways. And a true prophet, a mm. true preacher must always speak to the conviction of sin mm. and proclaim God's law. And we need to give law to the proud and mm. grace to the humble. Yes. Law to break the hard heart mm. and grace to heal the broken heart. Mm. And that is why the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord 
is the schoolmaster that leads mm. us to Christ that we can be justified by faith. Mm. And so God resists the proud, mm. Mm. but he gives grace to the humble. Yes. And that's the balance, mm. and we need that. And unfortunately, if we are going according to the world's ways, we're going to be more like marketing managers mm. in order to sell our product. But mm. that's not Christianity. We are not selling a product. We are presenting the gospel. It's not our gospel. It's it's God's yes. message. Mm. And so we, we are, so to speak, mm. we're the waiters. We're not the cooks. Mm. And we're Very to true. deliver. What, and so, so, yes, unfortunately, we will offend people. Mm. And um, if we're not offending people, we're probably not doing our job. Very so... In, in your ministry, on, on the ground, dealing with the people, you've had a lot of challenges. I mean, just mention some of the challenges that you must have of uh, doing God's work in Mozambique. Because some people may look at Mozambique and think, wow, that looks like a tourist paradise. You've got palm trees, beautiful beaches, wonderful sea. I mean, there's a lot of things that looks really good, you know, coconuts and all that stuff mm. and prawns. Uh, so uh, Mozambique, when I went there, it didn't look like a tourist attraction to me. Mm. But um, I believe before my time, Mozambique was a wonderful tourist attraction mm. and it's becoming a tourist attraction again. But mm. you have challenges too. Very much so. I can't tell you how many times we've had people on holiday come and visit us our home and they always come unannounced at some random time and they're like, oh, what are you guys doing? I'm like, what do you do all day? And we're like, we live here. This is not just a holiday place for us because it is true. It is a stunning country. So beautiful, nice and warm, lovely beaches, um, delicious food, uh, fresh food. Uh, vegetables, fruits, always available. It's, I mean, it's just a stunning country. People and are, coconuts and bananas. Oh yes, very much. And and people are friendly and kind. And I mean, compared, for instance, for those traveling from South Africa, there's much lower crime rate. It's much safer there. And you, it's it's such a lovely country. So my daughter was uh, saying she is amazed. She felt so safe in Mozambique. I think what safe? When, <laughs> when I was in Mozambique, I wouldn't have called it safe. But it just shows God's grace. I mean, yes. what's changed that mm. that people from South Africa go there and say, wow. Mm. You don't need to lock everything up. Everything's yeah. safe and the people respect property. Mm. And Well, I mean, that, that's wonderful to hear. Yes. I mean, I remember we were talking the other day. We couldn't find our front door key because we never lock our door. We just didn't know where it was. <laughs> well, that's not a problem most South Africans have. Yes. No. <laughs> we know where our keys are. <laughs> so, yeah. So, people look at that and they think, you know, it must be heaven on earth to live there, uh, which is not true. Um, first of all, Coming, for instance, uh, for my parents, I think especially for them when they moved from South Africa, you know, it was just a couple of years after apartheid ended, coming from Bloemfontein, Free State, where there is a lot of racism, uh, coming from families that don't know the Lord. Um, they didn't have much preparation, I would say, from going from South Africa to a completely black country with a very different culture, not speaking the language. So it was a huge culture shock, I think, for them to come and a huge step of faith, which I respect them very much for to this day. Mm. And through the, when we got to Mozambique, it was just a few years after the war. So there was peace and everything, but it was dirt poor. It was at the time the poorest nation in the country. And, and there was still a lot of landmines oh, around. Oh, yes. I mean, when my parents first visited Mozambique, you would still find burnt out vehicles next to the road. In Maputo, you would still hear gunshots at night every now and then. So there was still, it, it wasn't... Um, a little paradise when we got there. Um, it's definitely changed. I mean, just shopping. We had to travel every month to South Africa to do our shopping and come back because there wasn't, there was no supermarkets. I mean, you had little Indian stores that you might get a few items, but still, it was very hard. So even to this day, I mean, we do have supermarkets now. Some of the ones same as South Africa, but the quality is not the same. Um, 
the, for instance, just meat. We haven't been able to find good meat in Mozambique and as South Africans, we love our meat. So we <laughs> come and get our shopping from Mozambique. So just, I think of my mom as a mom's perspective, as a mm-hmm. wife and a mother, um, it was a big challenge uh, going to the country and not having the amenities available to which we are used to here in South Africa. And then just on the side, I mean, this is just creature comforts, but if we think of the side of health wise, when we moved to Mozambique, there were hardly any doctors, the hospitals, uh, this is socialized medicine where there is few doctors, no medicine, and no one really cares about the actual sick people. Um, um, I could just make a comment about that. Back in 1980, uh, the Operation World announced that they only had two medical doctors in the whole country of Mozambique. Yeah, it's insane. So this, the situation <laughs> has improved dramatically since then, but it just shows you how bad it was. There was such yes. a brain drain. Mm. People fled the country because when the Portuguese ran down the flag and left, because there was a revolution in Portugal and they decided to abandon the African colonies, mm. which had been there for about 500 years. Yes, it's but insane. But the Portuguese left overnight yeah. and the country just descended into mm. a Marxist one-party dictatorship where they nationalized everything, yes. and there was no private anything, mm. and uh, just about everyone with skills left the country. And, yeah. uh, so, I mean, imagine two mm. medical doctors in the whole country. So, And, and we're but, still but feeling the effects of that today because, yeah. because of this brain drain. Even uh, medical doctors, the ones that are trained now, people don't trust them very often. We rather go to the Cuban doctors, the South African doctors, um, just we choose the other nationalities, even the Russian doctors that we've had, because they're better qualified often than the Mozambican doctors. I mean, now I will say it is changing. Often doctors will go out and study in different countries, Mm. but just our education level, everyone who should have been there to train the next generation in these professional skills, they're not there. So the standard of education and learning in those who should be the best at what they do is very low. And that has had a huge effect on all of society, you know, in medicine, education, on the economy, finances. Mm-hmm. Uh, people just aren't really qualified for the work they're doing at times. So, that, I mean, we felt that through the years. But, yeah, for our family going to Mozambique, challenges of living there definitely is um, the frustration of the amount of red tape and to do anything in Mozambique. We laugh when people talk in South Africa, uh, just even uh, I talk to some people who are like principals of Christian schools, you know, like, oh, it's so difficult to run a Christian school and there's challenges and this and that. And like, yeah, I know it's true, but try and do it in Mozambique. It's so much harder. I mean, the amount of red tape to go through, the amount of paperwork you have to do, it's just, it's insane. But it's not just red tape, it's logistics. Yes. Because you don't have the different support industries all over the place. When you need to get something, a lot of it, you've got to drive across the border to Nilsbury. Yes, no, you, you're completely on your own pretty much. So, Bring you, your own infrastructure. Yes. <laughs> so it's very challenging. And then just um, health-wise, I mean, Mozambique is such a lovely country, but it's also home to malaria. And... Uh, you've had a little bit of problems with that, haven't you? <laughs> Quite a bit. How many times would you say you've had malaria? Well, I have lost count, but I estimate between 80 and 90 times in my lifetime. Yes, you've had malaria more times than David Livingston. (laughs) I think he kept it around 60-something. So, yeah, um, malaria is a problem, and of course, it can kill you, can't it? It can, but thankfully, like in my case, uh, the first few years when I had it so often, I would, I mean, I was hospitalized a few times, I would get very sick, but... um, due to my body being exposed to it so much, and that's the amazing thing about how God has made our bodies, is that my body's built up some resistance to it. So I will start with malaria symptoms and 
be feeling sick for maybe two, three weeks and I, I can feel I've probably got malaria, but I'll go test and I'll test negative because it's not in my bloodstream. My, my body is fighting it off. And then eventually when I do test positive, I'm not very sick. It's mostly just like a bad flu for me nowadays. Mm. And I mean, it's amazing. I have gone every year for a checkup to check on my organs, you know, which could be damaged by the incessant malaria, such as your liver and your kidneys. Mm. And amazingly, every time I go, the doctor tells me I am just in absolute perfect health. Like he says, my liver and kidneys could not be in a better condition. And I really see that as the Lord's mercy because, I mean, just this year I have had malaria three times already. But each time I was able to get up and be up and going again within a week. And, and it's just, I see this Lord has allowed it, um, this battle with malaria. And I will also say it's not everyone who gets it as much as me. My, my mm. family maybe gets it once a year, once every two years, most members of my mm. family. So it is, it happens, but I'm the exception, not the rule to the amount of times I've gotten it. <laughs> and yet most of our listeners haven't had malaria once. So um, everybody in missions gets malaria some stage, certainly in Frontline Fellowship. I don't know a single Frontline missionary hasn't gotten malaria at least once. Yes. Um, and uh, sometimes more often. And of course, mm. we'd now add Bilhazia and tick bite fever to the list, uh, along with hepatitis and other things. But uh, yes, those are some challenges that many people may not uh, always have thought of. Now, mm. when most people think of Africa, they'll think dangerous animals, lions, snakes, crocodiles. <laughs> all that. Uh, do you have dangerous animals near where you well, live? Well, we, we do some. I mean, not the wild. We don't have elephants and lions. We do have plenty of snakes, scorpions, spiders. Um, I actually, just a few weeks ago, had the privilege of having a poisonous snake, a boomslang, fall on top of me as I opened my garage door. It was that sleepy morning, you know, just heading off to work and was very tired late night the previous night and I opened the garage door and I just feel this thing falling on my shoulder and I thought it was a lizard but I looked down and the lizard was a bit longer and it was green and had no legs and you know, I was that was not a very pleasant experience. I don't hope to repeat that again. Well, <laughs> apparently, he didn't sink his teeth into you. Um, <laughs> Thankfully, on, on this occasion, fangs, I should say. And um, I suppose you've got sharks in the Mozambique Channel. Yes, and all that no, sort of uh, the Indian Ocean there is lovely. It's so warm, much better than your freezing Cape Town weather uh, well, yes. ocean, I must say. It's a lovely swimming, but we do have the great whites, not as much as you do in Cape Town, um, but we do have them. We have uh, bull sharks or Zambezi sharks, uh, hammerheads, uh, amongst a few other other smaller sharks as well. And so. in the rivers, of course, you do have crocodiles. Yes, yes, we do. The, that's a rule I have kept to. I do not swim in fresh water because Fre- you just don't if know. If you see fresh water in Mozambique, they're crocodiles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, pr- pretty much that one can expect that. Mm. Okay, but uh, as far as the challenges goes, um, you don't get much harassment these days from the police or army. No, generally not. Generally, they're very friendly, very kind. It's very uncommon. I mean, of course, during COVID times, we had a bit more harassment. Um, we, where we held our services is out of the way. Thankfully, our school, uh, that neighborhood doesn't have a lot of people patrolling or anything. So we didn't have any issues there ourselves. But like in you our- You didn't have Stasi informers phoning saying, <laughs> <laughs> there are two people meeting over there <laughs> No, thankfully not. But in our neighborhood, it was, it was quite funny where we live, our family, people who had walked in the street without masks, the police would take them to go cut the grass and uh, trim the bushes and everything at the municipality buildings. That was their punishment. So they got uh, the, the rule breakers for physical labor to do the work that they should but have been doing. At least that's something practical. Yes, at least. So, I mean, we, we, we do sometimes have harassment. Like, we mm. had it now during COVID times. But generally... Mm. Um, we don't. Um, sometimes I think if you do evangel- evangelism on the streets or 
protesting is very much looked down upon the government. If you protest anything, even if it is legal, you will be harassed. Uh, that's everybody mm. just knows that. You don't say anything, you keep quiet. Um, that's generally the rule most most amongst most Mozambicans. That's a hangover from the communist one-party days, yes. Yes, and mm. people are still terrified of the government. That is something that's a reality in Mozambique. Mm. They're still afraid. I mean, I compare it to South Africa where for every single thing, even when it's not even necessary, they toy toy and protest and burn yes. things and go insane. And we neighbors in Mozambique just look in shock because we couldn't imagine doing something like that. Right. <laughs> but if you want to do evangelism, street ministry, handing out gospel literature, no problem. Most of the time, if you are just evangelizing, talking to people, handing out literature, they, you will receive no problems. If you're going to put up a, a banner and a stand and something like that, you will probably have to get permission first. Um, but you will most likely be granted. Once again, mm. the local governments are usually very friendly to these sorts of uh, outreaches and events. What about film evangelism? Could you go into a marketplace, rig up a screen, show film and win the sunset? I haven't tried that, but I'm sure you could do it. <laughs> well, we used to get away with it uh, back in the 80s, but that's because they didn't get filmed. So it was mm. a real exciting. The army and police would come and watch as well. I mean, they were so thrilled to get even though it was Jesus from Portuguese. Um, but yes, um, it sounds like Mozambique is mostly open. They certainly want tourists. and uh, Very much. Um, all of the central governments trying to slow things down. Mm. Unfortunately, a lot of central governments are like that. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay, so what do you see as needs? I mean, if somebody's thinking, I'd like to be involved in ministry in Mozambique, what are the openings? What are the needs where people mm. should be coming and trying to fill these needs as mm. missionaries or tent makers? Yeah, I think um, some of the main areas I see that's the biggest needs in Mozambique, I would say it's three. The first is, um, and the most important is uh, biblical churches being founded in Mozambique. Church or planting. Church planting or even training of current pastors and church leaders. Um, Leadership uh, training. Yes. And mm -hmm. and I've been, there's a ministry uh, like uh, Fiel Publishers. They come out of Brazil. They translate and publish um, reformed literature. And it's their work has been amazing. They do. Uh, they have this program called Adopt a Pastor, where they send. I think it's forty plus good biblical reformed books that they send over a course of two years to these pastors that they mm -hmm. adopt. And it includes theological training. It includes uh, conferences that they attend. So this is one ministry I very much love and support. Um, whenever they have a conference, we visit, uh, we attend the conferences. I just recently attended one in Maputo, uh, which had been postponed due to COVID. So it was such an amazing blessing just to meet together with brethren mm -hmm. in this conference. But they are amazing ministry just focusing on um, spreading good biblical literature throughout the country because it's a huge need. Um, we don't, people don't have theological training. People don't know the Bible. Uh, they they take the Bible very out of context. Very often a verse here, a verse there. They don't know how to see the Bible as a whole, how to study it as a whole, to learn to preach out of with context, mm -hmm. to speak, to preach expositionally. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say good biblical churches is a great need, whether that is church planting or whether uh, taking existing churches and helping them actually function in a biblical way. Um, I would say that's first and foremost the biggest need in Mozambique is... Um, right, church planting, leadership training, libraries for pastors, biblical preaching, teaching expositionally, how to preach from the text what the Bible is saying exactly. in the context. Yes. Um, those are all very strategic. Hmm. Um, other advice you may have for people interested in helping in Mozambique? Yeah, so I think 
I think in almost any area there is opportunities. Like for instance, myself, I work in Christian education and that is such a huge need. I personally feel very passionate about this because this is a country that all our curriculum is uh, communist. Um, the schools, I mean, it's atrocious the how they do schools, uh, how they teach. I mean, I've seen some of the classrooms. Most of it is just a teacher writing on a blackboard and the child is just copying it. They're never taught to think for themselves. Critical thinking is not installed in any way. Um, they are not taught to question anything. They're just taught to copy and parrot what they're being taught. And... Um, and unfortunately, you will get people, I mean, it's very common in Mozambique having children in grade five to six who still cannot read and write anything. They've been going through all these grades and automatically they pass to higher grades, yet they can't read. It's it's horrible. So Christian education, I think, is a huge opportunity because, number one, parents want their children to succeed. Parents are very passionate about education in Mozambique. I've seen families who are dirt poor, who will barely eat, so they're able to send their older children to university in the hope of that they will be able to find a better life than they have lived. So education is a big deal for the Mozambican people as a society. So it's a great opportunity for mm -hmm. us as Christians, I believe, to come and bring a higher standard of education. And through this, bring the gospel, not only to the mm -hmm. children, but to the families. I mean, even in our school, uh, one third, if not half, of our students are Muslim students. The parents are Muslims, and yet they're very happy to put their children in a Christian school because mm -hmm. they know the level of quality, quality that our education is. So I think that's an amazing opportunity, which mm -hmm. uh, I believe is the future for Mozambique. Because if you truly want to change a nation, it's starting with the kids, yes. starting at the bottom, because the older people are harder to change. They're set in their ways. They're stubborn, whereas children are just so malleable and so teachable. They're sponges just soaking up knowledge. Um, so I think it's an amazing opportunity is Christian education uh, in Mozambique. It's a difficult area, but um, great opportunity. Now, of course, the national language is Portuguese, and you still have um, some like 38 other ethnic groups, languages and dialects At least. Um, officially. And um, so... If a person speaks Portuguese, uh, obviously it's ideal, but how well will people understand English there? You see, that is the thing. For instance, our school is an English school where we only have Portuguese as a second language because Mozambique, the people of Mozambique know that English has become the international language for business. So they want the children to learn English, most parents, because they see that they will have opportunities to travel overseas, to study abroad. And, and that's what they desire. So it's... Portuguese is ideal, and I definitely believe that there should be Portuguese schools. And I know of several wonderful Christian Portuguese schools currently in Mozambique. But if you are going to open an international English school, it's a great opportunity as well. So English second language is a ministry opportunity. We've got people who've done a great commission course have ended up um, being missionaries in China, where it's mm. not legal to be a missionary because they're teaching English second language. Yes. Amazing how they... I know people in Saudi Arabia and Oman mm. uh, doing that. So English second language is a ministry opportunity for people who think, yes. well, I could never be a missionary. Well, mm. if you can teach English, mm. you might well yeah. be able to be. And even in the government schools, I have seen cases where they will hire foreigners to come and teach. Um, I know, for instance, of a Japanese person who was teaching maths. And I've heard English teachers that will ask foreigners to come and teach English. So even in secular mm. schools, you might as a Christian receive the opportunity to be able to find a job at, if you specialize yeah. in a certain area or a certain academic area and you can teach in that. Well, these are all 
tent making passport opening uh, exactly uh, ways of getting into a place to be a missionary even in areas where missionaries may not be mm. amongst the permitted uh, reasons that you're coming in so can you give some other ideas on how can a person pray better for Mozambique? I mean, obviously, if they can get hold of Operation World, that'll really help. Um, Operation World is mm. the intercessory handbook on every country in the world. But from your perspective, how would you mm. advise our listeners to pray better for Mozambique? Well, um, I would definitely pray for um, repentance to be worked in the churches of Mozambique. I think there's uh, great lukewarmness, um, there is not much consecration or holiness to the Lord, much shallowness. And this has, I mean, the church should be the shining bright light in Mozambique. And yet it feels more often that we're asleep and not fighting for the gospel to be made known, uh, not fighting against the atrocious things we see happening in our society, such as abortion, which technically is still illegal uh, by law, yet it is commonly practiced in the government hospitals. Um, so I think a big, uh, my main, th uh, I think, focus of prayer would be for people to truly come to know the Lord who are just religious mm. and for those who are true believers to grow maturity and uh, biblical knowledge um, in the Lord. Well, that's definitely a need in many, many places. But I wonder if it could also be um, the climate where, Everything's so nice and warm and you don't need to work hard <laughs> to make a strong enough shelter and home and to stay warm in the winter and anything yes. like this. And and there's so much abundance of food. You know, mm. We've got coconuts falling out of trees and you've got bananas lying around the place. So uh, I wonder if the climate makes it easy for people to just be very lethargic and laid back and relaxed. And that could affect the spiritual climate too sometimes. It's, it's possible. I mean, I have to say Mozambicans are some of the most hardworking people I've ever seen. I mean, mm. it is true that food is easily available, but I mean, we do suffer from natural disasters almost constantly, whether it's cyclones or droughts or floods. floods. <laughs> it's, it seems every year there is some disaster happening. I'm trying to think this year we did have two cyclones hit central and northern Mozambique, I believe. They were not as severe as the ones last mm -hmm. year. But I mean, there's every year there's some disaster, if not several, within one year. So the people constantly do... So it's not just paradise. No, it's not just paradise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're on holiday there, it feels like paradise. But living there, the people do suffer. Mm -hmm. um, we, back in um, the mid, I think it was like 2015-16, we had a period of very severe drought in our province where, I mean, people didn't have food. They were eating roots of trees and, and grass and we saw people dying of starvation. It was extremely severe because there was just so dry, there was no food. So, um, yeah, it, people, I think, have a very, the most biggest tend to have a bit of a passive mentality, which I also think is very much due to the civil war and just how oppressed they were never to think for themselves, but to always just follow and obey whatever they're told. Mm -hmm. And I think that has really passed on to their spiritual lives. They never question their leadership, mm -hmm. they just take whatever's being told to them as gospel without having any discernment whether it's mm -hmm. true or not. Yeah, so People that's... People have to learn to keep quiet and to not rock the boat and don't stand out or you could get in trouble. Exactly. So that, that that's not spiritually conducive mm. to inquiring Reformation mind. Where yes. My mm. conscience has kept the word of God. They, mm. they really need a, a back to Bible Reformation there. Very much so, yeah. So, uh, Isaac, if people want to get in touch with you, if uh, someone's interested in coming and volunteering or helping or to get on your prayer list, how can they get in touch with you? 
Well, the easiest would probably be by email. <laughs> My email is uh, isaacwestrod at gmail.com. That is I-S-A-A-C, Isaac Westrad, W-E-S-T-R-A-A-D at gmail.com. Um, you can also reach me on WhatsApp. My phone number is uh, plus two five eight. Uh, that's the code for our country. And then eight four five one two six eight four zero. Uh, give that number again. The number is plus two five eight eight four five one two six eight four zero. Eight four zero. Good. And it's Isaac Westrand at gmail.com. Very good. Thank you so much for all this. Isaac, we want to pray for you regularly. Praise God for how God has worked in Mozambique. I must admit, even in my most uh, uh, sanguine, optimistic moments uh, back in the 80s, I never imagined Mozambique would be the wonderful tourist attraction it is mm. now, as open for the gospel, with so much church growth, to have gone from 4% Protestants to something in the area of 34% who yes. claim to be Christians and mm. born-again, evangelical, independent, charismatic, Pentecostal. I mean, it's extraordinary. And mm. Bibles can be freely taken. Absolutely, and Christian yes. schools can mm. be opened, even mm. though there's red tape. I mean, mm. the, all of these would have been impossible back then. And when we started going to Mozambique, Operation World said there was not one Bible for a thousand people. Mm. Well, mm. I praise God the situation's improved there. But yes. there's still languages that need Bible translation. Mm. There's still a lot of work to be done, so let's not give up on Mozambique or think mm. the work is done. Uh, in many ways, the work is just beginning. It's just begun, Uncle Peter. I truly believe that. Thank you so much, Isaac, and may God bless Mozambique and all those who are working there. Uh, let's be faithful in prayer and action in lifting up Mozambique to the throne of grace and praying for the Great Commission to be fulfilled in Mozambique. Mm. Thank you so much. God bless and good night. Thank you.